I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Patients tell us that they sleep better when they've been out in the garden, they feel happier, they feel they can think more clearly. Dr Olivia Chappell is the chair of Charity Horatio's Garden. Here she's describing a space she's created with designer Cleve West at Salisbury District Hospital's spinal unit. It's an invaluable escape for patients. Suddenly you've got a bit of control because you can either ask a friend, you can make them a cup of tea when they come to see you, or you can be growing your own lettuce. Or you can have lovely sensation of eating a strawberry, something which is a bit of a big contrast to an NHS meal. It's called Horatio's Garden, named after her late son, and it really is the definition of a garden with a good conscience. And that's what we're exploring in today's show, how gardening and growing can be a force for good, whether that be by helping patients improve their well-being, tackling prejudices or supporting the ecosystems in our green spaces. As well as talking to Olivia and Cleve, we're going to learn how to make our gardens a haven for wildlife. And we'll also be hearing from Mothin Ali, the founder of Dig It Out, a movement that is working to spread awareness of racial abuse and discrimination in gardening. When I shared some of my experiences, gardeners are generally caring people. So when they hear about this sort of thing, a lot of them do generally offer words of sympathy. But what I'd ask is people not to just offer words of sympathy, but to actually come forward and say, right, let's make a stand together. I'm Alana Karma, RHS Schools and Groups Programme Manager. I'm responsible for helping people, young and old, in schools and community groups from all backgrounds to get into growing by offering up fun and engaging initiatives, a couple of which we'll hear about today which is why I'm really excited about guest presenting this episode of Gardening with the RHS. So we'll start today looking at the well-being power of gardens. Let's rejoin Olivia. I'd love to talk about Horatio. So Horatio is my eldest son and he wanted to be a doctor and he was a boy who really was sort of inquisitive, loved to problem solve. He had a very kind of strong idea of what was right and what was wrong. Age 16, he wanted to volunteer and he wanted to volunteer in the Spinal Injury Centre. And while he was volunteering, people used to ask him to take them outside. And the only place to go was out at the front of the Spinal Injury Centre, which was the car park. And it just bothered Horatio. So he talked about this at home to us. They identified a bit of land 
that could be used to make a garden. And then we said to him, well, you've got to, all very well for you to have this great idea, but you've got to see whether other people share it. And so he made a questionnaire and he went around, he talked to all the patients, he talked to the staff, hospital managers, and really got everybody's views, unanimous feeling that there should be a garden there. And the results of the question showed that the patients really wanted a beautiful garden that all year round would be a place of sanctuary and a place to get away from everything clinical that was totally accessible, but that was accessible in a very subtle way. So it didn't remind them of their disability, that they could use it with their friends and family to just sort of feel that they weren't anywhere other than in hospital. So it had been a real topic of conversation in our house and we had a back of an envelope plan that had been done by one of the team in the Spinal Injury Centre and we'd raised a bit of money and Harisha was working out some fundraising schemes that he could do to try to raise more and we were trying to just think how we could get this to happen. And then in the summer of 2011, Harisha went on a trip with a group of young people to Svalbard on a science expedition. And tragedy struck. They were camping and early one morning, Horatio's tent was attacked by a polar bear. In the awfulness that happened, Horatio took on the bear and bided time for his friends to get away, but lost his life in that dreadful thing. And in the terrible aftermath that happened, there was this extraordinary sort of tide. It was almost, I can only really describe it like a seed growing. And, you know, when you see those slow motion, the time-lapse photography of a seed growing, it was like that in my mind, that people started to say, I think it came from the spinal unit first, they said, let's call it Horatio's Garden. And then people started donating. And even within the first week, people had, donated to this fund and to start with it was our friends and our community and then it extended to people that we didn't even know but had read about Horatio in the press and were moved not only by his story but the ideas that he'd had as such a young man that they could see could make a huge difference to this group of people who are facing life-changing injuries. And so within a few months we had a fund that we just thought you know, we can really do something amazing with this. And we called on different people to advise us as to how we could do it, what we could do with this, took them to this windswept, rather bleak space in November to look and see how we could turn it into a garden. And two or one people said, you need to talk to Cleve West. So my name's Cleve West. I'm a garden designer based in southwest London. Cleve told me that he knew exactly what we were talking about because his best friend had had a spinal injury about 10 years before and had been in the spinal unit in Salisbury. So I I knew the the limitations of the place and and that it desperately needed a garden. So immediately he said, yes, it was just this sort of serendipitous moment. Suddenly we had this incredible garden designer involved who came to the site And I took him around the hospital bed and he filmed what the view would be like for people who are often on bed rest for six weeks or longer using the garden. You are very aware of every single bump and uh, movement. You sort of felt really vulnerable. And we came up with these extraordinary designs. 
it sort of evolved. We had a lot of just talks with patients and the staff there and, and Olivia, of course, and we sort of came to the conclusion we just wanted a nice garden, something great to be in, something where you didn't feel any onus about getting involved to doing any work or digging or just wanted a place to enjoy. And so the main part of the garden is just a nice place to sit, places where you can have some privacy, places where you can just go and enjoy the flowers. Some of the big drawers are things like fennel, verbena bonariensis, but they are hugely attractive to insects. And if you have insects in the garden, then you'll get birds. So there is a lot of activity in Horatio's garden because we have those plants. There's things like agastache, sedum, asters, foxgloves, eryngiums, lots of eryngiums in the garden, echinacea, valerian. The patients stay in there quite a long time, up to a year, sometimes a little bit more than that. So it had to be a garden that was going to give something for the present moment and also something to look forward to. So looking forward to seeing buds open or for leaves to change colour, all that is really important. So there has to be something for the future to dwell on. By and large, this is sort of a, a mixture of perennials, mostly perennials, but with some shrubs and trees. And it feels now, nine years on, as if you are in the most extraordinary oasis. It's a secret garden in the middle of the heart of the hospital. And what he showed us is how extraordinary garden design, brilliant experience and talent can make even the most challenging of spaces into something extraordinary. I've seen patients come out into that garden for the first time and just burst into tears. Nature is such an amazing thing we take for granted and to be able to come out into the garden and uh, just feel the sun in your face or the rain even. You know, people go out in the rain, cold and all weathers basically to get outside away from the sterility of that ward. And the garden plays a really vital part in people's lives and I really underestimated that. It's only when I saw it from my, with my own eyes that uh, I really thought, gosh, this is something quite special to be involved with. Every day with patients going outside, it is always emotional because the intensity of the clinical environment, you're sharing your bedroom with, you know, maybe seven other strangers. You've got just a thin curtain around you for privacy. You've got sounds and medical beeping and the smells of the hospital, the institutional food, the regime being woken up through the night, all of those things. And then to suddenly come outside... and hear the birds and be under a tree and see the dappled light and the, feel the wind on your face is the most extraordinary release. I think people get a lot from it, not just from the flowers, but seeing life in all its glory, just working and seeing the cycle of life and how, how everything's connected. And it's really accentuated in the garden. The memory of Horatio really does live on in, in such a vibrant way. It's an incredible legacy when you think about it. I think he'd be so proud of it. I think he would really think that everybody involved had done a really good job. I think he'd really like the fact that it's dynamic and that we're always trying to get it better. And I think you know, he would just love to be sitting and talking with the patients using the garden and seeing what a difference it made to them. I just think he would have loved it. 
Hearing the beautiful work of Horatio's garden is so inspiring. And it's something we're really passionate about at the RHS. And we're very excited to be opening stunning new wellbeing gardens at RHS Wisley and RHS Bridgewater later this year. No matter who you are or where you come from, growing, of course, should be for everyone. But sadly, this isn't always respected. And someone who's all too aware of this is passionate grower Mothin Alley. Mothin recently set up Dig It Out, a campaign that's working to spread awareness of racial discrimination after he faced racist abuse from online trolls within the gardening community. He runs a popular YouTube channel called My Family Garden and his videos document his family's growing adventures in their home plot in Leeds. Mothin offers top tips about everything from building a new greenhouse to growing chilies. Here's a taste. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. So it's time to give you an update on peppers and my chilies. So we're going into the new gardening season and everyone's getting excited about planting. But when's the best time to apply compost to your garden beds? That's what we're talking about today. One of the reasons that we started the channel was everywhere you look, there's a real lack of diversity when it comes to gardening, horticulture, agriculture. It is really very white middle class. When we started it, we thought there's not very many people growing the types of vegetables that we're growing that have a cultural significance to the stuff that we're doing. So why not we step up and fill that gap? My first experience of gardening was as a child in my dad's allotment, but that wasn't me gardening, that was generally being a nuisance for my dad. But um, for a period, we lived in a council house, and that council house was the first time we had a garden. So me and my mum, we dug up the grass on one side, planted some potatoes, and as soon as we planted those potatoes, my eldest brother, he saw me getting involved and interested in gardening. So he bought me a bay leaf tree, and he bought me a gooseberry bush and a packet of pak choy seeds. And that's really what set me off. I've still got that bay leaf tree. So that bay leaf tree is probably about 28 years. Getting kids involved in the gardening as well, that's something that to me is really important. And now you hear stories where children, they don't know where food comes from. So if you ask them where milk comes from, they don't understand that milk comes from a cow. And I don't want my children to go through that. You know, I want them to know where food comes from and what the value of food is. Some stuff that we like to grow include bottle gourds. I mean, one of the most iconic Bangladeshi vegetables is bottle gourds. And for us, it's an event in itself. You know, us planting a bottle gourd, grazing it. I was talking to one of my viewers not so long ago and she was telling me about how people will ring her up and ask her about what's going on with the bottle gourd rather than ask her about what's going on with her family. Do you know, it's that sort of significance. But we also grow uh, ginger, we're growing turmeric. I've got a couple of jackfruit trees. I know they'll never fruit, but I've got a couple of jackfruit trees in the house. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. So what I'm going to talk about in today's video is going to be quite a serious issue. It's something that's extremely upsetting to me and it's extremely upsetting to my family. And it's one of the things that I've been trying to filter my children from and I've been somewhat trying to filter you guys from as well since I started my YouTube channel. So what I'm going to talk about is some of the absolutely disgusting racist abuse that I suffer from being on YouTube.
The aim of the Dig It Out campaign has its three aims, really. One is to highlight some of the problems that people from a BAME background are facing when it comes to gardening. I did a video on my YouTube channel about some of the racist abuse that I suffer from. I'll be honest, I kept it clean. Do you know the video that I did? I filtered out some of the really extreme stuff, but even the stuff that I put on was quite graphic and it was quite disgusting. But that's one of the things that triggered it. But the day I started my YouTube channel, I was getting that sort of abuse all the way through. It kept on eating up at me and eating up at me. And then James Wong did a couple of articles highlighting some of the more structural inequalities that he's and some of the experience that he's faced. And then I thought, right, okay, he's done something. Now it's, I've got to speak up. I can't just shut up. So we've got a three-pronged approach with the Dig It Out campaign. And one is to advocate for people who are facing discrimination, facing racist abuse. So one of the cases that we're currently dealing with is an allotment society where they're segregating people by race and they're deliberately passing over people from a BAME background and favouring people who are either directly connected to committee members or white. So we've written a few letters to the councils and now it's actually being investigated. That's one approach for us. The other one is to raise awareness of the issue, to make sure that people who are in a, in a position of authority know that there is an issue that we need to talk about. There is structural racism, there is institutional racism within this sort of thing. There's a, a very famous seed company. Last year they did an article on 40 YouTubers. These are the 40 YouTubers that we recommend. Every single one was white. So that's approach number two, is to make sure that there's awareness of these issues. And num number three is to say, right, okay, push people from BAME backgrounds forward and try and get those people in authority to say, right, you've got to accept us now. And I, and I speak to people from BAME backgrounds as well, is it's time for you guys to step up and claim your place. Okay, how can people get involved? There's a number of ways that people can get involved. Whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, whether it's just general bullying, people feel alone and they feel scared and they feel isolated. Now, if someone reaches out, don't just dismiss it. You know, if someone reaches out and says, look, this has happened, take it seriously. That's number one. The other one is to raise awareness about the issue because we're still a relatively new campaign. We still need people to know that we're here. So share our website, digitoutcampaign.com or the hashtag dig it out. And if you've got any skills that you can offer us, volunteer with us. Getting other people to support our campaign is really essential. I mean, we've, when I shared some of my experiences, gardeners are generally caring people. They care for the planet, they care for the food they eat, they care for their communities. So when they hear about this sort of thing, a lot of them do generally offer words of sympathy. But what I'd ask is people not to just offer words of sympathy, but to actually come forward and say, right, let's make a stand together. Mothin Ali. There's been a spotlight on the lack of diversity in horticulture for a while now, and particularly in this last year. So campaigns and projects like this couldn't be more important. Bearing his last point in mind, there are a couple of campaigns we run for communities all over the UK that are about creating accessible, fun and welcoming ways for people to grow together. 
One of these is Grow Social, a new initiative designed to help address social isolation and loneliness, something that has become more prevalent during the pandemic. And loneliness can affect anyone, no matter their age, background or circumstances. And research has shown the impact on health can be incredibly damaging. Through this campaign, we're asking people to help find ways of bringing people in their local communities together through growing and nature. Something as simple as dropping sunflower seedlings on doorsteps, running a nature trail or setting up a Facebook group to share photos could make all the difference. If a community group, school group or an individual would like to take part, they can search Grow Social online and apply for a campaign pack containing sunflower seeds, stickers, posters and some tips to help spread some sunshine around our communities. Now, taking our Gardening for Good theme in a different direction. All this year, alongside the Wildlife Trusts, we're encouraging gardeners to be beetle-friendly outside. Beetles are such an important part of the garden ecosystem, as our resident wildlife expert Helen Bostock and the Wildlife Trust's Leanne Manchester explain. So Leanne, today we're going to be talking about this Wild About Gardens. Just what is that? Can you tell us a little bit about the campaign? Sure. A Wild About Gardens is our joint campaign with the RHS, where we try to inspire everybody to take action for wildlife in their gardens, no matter how big or small their space is, and really encourage people to welcome wildlife into their lives. And why is this important? I mean, surely these tiny little postage stamp size spaces, you know, outside our back door, they can't make a difference, can they? Well, actually, they can make a massive difference. When you bear in mind that there are well over 20 million gardens in the UK, when you put all that together, it can make such a big difference for wildlife. There are so many special places we already have for wildlife across the UK, but they're fragmented and they're scattered because of things like development. And our gardens can fill those gaps and make corridors to connect up these places for wildlife like beetles. Ah, so right, let's get straight into that. So you've just mentioned beetles there, which isn't really the first thing that comes to mind when we think about garden wildlife. We're normally distracted with all those lovely birds and putting out our bird food or butterflies or bees. So just what is it about beetles and why is that being chosen this year as the real theme for the campaign? So really, the reason is like what you just highlighted, Helen, they're very easily forgotten about are our beetles. Um, And often they can be the creatures that you don't even expect them to be. So a lot of people might not realise that the beloved ladybird is actually a beetle or glowworms, also beetles. So there are actually over 4,000 species of beetle in the UK. And we wanted to really shine a spotlight on these creatures. Sometimes they might be seen as unwelcome visitors in the garden, but actually they have such amazing array of value to gardeners as well as to the natural world itself. Okay, so I guess that really brings us to what can we do to encourage beetles in the garden? Presumably there's lots of plants that we can put in. The more plants we get in, the better. But is there anything else? Are you asking people to do any activities in the garden this year? Yes, so there are lots of different things that people can do in their gardens to help beetles, but we're specifically focusing on three things this year. Three very different things that will suit different types of gardens. So if you have perhaps a slightly larger garden and you have a little bit more space, you can create a dead hedge. If you have a small amount of space, you can create something called a beetle bank. And then if you have a really small garden, you can create something called a beetle bucket. 
And all three of these activities are really straightforward and simple to do, but will make a real difference for beetles in your garden. And the great news is we've got activity sheets to explain how to do these step by step available from our website, wildaboutgardens.org.uk. But in essence, all of these are designed to provide excellent places for beetles to make their homes and for the larvae to develop. So... I was really fascinated there by the first one that you mentioned because it didn't sound so great. Did you call it a dead hedge? Yes, that's right. (laughs) So it might not sound very exciting, but it's actually a really great way for you to use up clippings from your garden and create a habitat at the same time. So you'll use stakes or something similar to create the posts as you would between fence panels on a smaller scale and to create rows in which you then slot things like bare branches that you've lopped off of your hedge. And over time, these break down and provide brilliant habitat and food source for beetles. And I can really see this being of use in my garden because I do have a lot of hedges and a lot of shrubs and it's not always easy to use all that material in the compost heap. They can take a long time or this woody waste to break down. So actually that's a really great way to make use of it. And, and I guess you just keep piling it on top as you get fresh material. So I'm rather liking the idea of a dead hedge. I, th- I, yes. I can see there's a little spot between a couple of beds that I might be able to squeeze one in. Exactly. And you can be creative and it can separate off sections of your garden as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you, Leanne. You've really inspired me, I think, to get out and to get searching and to really see what it is that's special about beetles. Thank you. Thanks. Helen Bostock talking to Leanne Manchester. Wild About Guns is such a great campaign because it really doesn't matter what size garden you have, as there are lots of ways to get involved and the activity booklets available online are really beautiful. Now, let's head to our veg garden and hear another edition of our Growing Great Food feature. My name is Sylvia Travers. I'm the team leader for the Inner Wall Garden at RHS Bridgewater. Today, we're going to talk about courgettes and kale. They're familiar to anyone, but they're the workhorses of the kitchen garden in the sense that they keep on producing. They go and they go and they go. They're as cheap as chips to buy, but actually the flavour when you grow your own is far, far superior. And I know kale has got a bit of a reputation for being a bit boring, but hey, it's a superfood, so let's all grow it. But actually it tastes far sweeter and less cabbagey, if that makes sense, when you pick it fresh. In terms of courgettes, I like the round ones just because they're a bit different but there's a massive variety I mean courgettes you can get long ones round ones yellow ones green ones stripy ones there's so many there's a, a stripy green one called Romanesco which is beautiful there's an old Italian one called Tondo di Nisa which is, is a round one but go whatever you like I tend to grow a variety because it's quite nice to have a variety just in your saucepan when you're cooking So courgettes don't like frost, so you're best growing them from late April for planting out, sort of mid to late May. It's about a month from sowing to planting, and they're stonking plants. They like plenty of food and water. They like plenty of space. So make sure you either mulch before you plant or mulch around the plants when you put them in, and they like a good old drink. When they first start getting going, the male will come first, and they'll be followed by the females. And the females, you can tell that they're female because they've got a little bulge behind the flower head, which is the little baby courgette. Harvest them whenever, whatever size you like, but I tend to harvest them small because it helps avoid getting massive courgettes that you've got to deal with. But also, the more you harvest, the more that will come. 
You can either snap them off if you're going to use them pretty immediately, but if you want to keep them in the fridge for a bit, cut them with a knife, but be really careful not to cut the parent plant. They will keep going until the first frost. The thing to bear in mind is that courgettes can be prone to a disease called powdery mildew, which is kind of like a white dusting like talcum powder on the leaves. Think about if a plant is really healthy, it's more resistant to disease. So powdery mildew is often prominent on plants that are either stressed or a bit congested. So again, make sure you're mulching and watering. So I'd suggest mulching when they, a few weeks after they start fruiting. Give them a good old drink, but also remove the lower leaves of the plants just to allow a bit of air circulation around them. And also make sure when you plant them out, you put them at least a metre, if not a metre and a half apart from each other, just to give them plenty of air circulation. And they'll keep going. And of course, chances are you'll end up with a lot. Everybody does, but they'll cook down and freeze for winter or give them away to your friends. Kale, I'd eat all day, every day. It's definitely one of my favourite vegetables. And if you're clever, you can have a crop of kale all year round. I mean, the main crop of kale is generally sown from May to June so that you get a crop in the winter and into following early spring. But you can sow it earlier for baby leaves, which are really tender and great in salads or stir-fries. The varieties I really like, I love Tuscan kale, which is the Cavalonera, the really long, dark, green, strappy kale. It's stonking stuff. You've got a variety called Red Russian, which has got, kind of got feathery leaves. It's really hardy. It's from Siberia. And then you've got things like the familiar curly kale. And there's a one called Scarlet, which is a redder version of your curly kale. There's so many out there. Again, you know, you can choose what you like. I'd recommend netting it because the pigeons love it, especially in this time of year when it's the hungry gap. That once they find it, they'll decimate the whole lot. It'll also keep off things like large and small white butterflies. And it'll just give you a nice clean crop. Again, Granny's neck curtains will suffice. And also, a little thing to note is that the following spring, just as the leaves are beginning to stop producing, it'll produce flowers. And these little florets are very similar to purple spraying broccoli. So use them and eat them. And also when they do flower, those flowers are edible too and really tasty and sweet because you get a little bundle of nectar in the center of the flower. Thanks, Sylvia. Now is definitely the time to get growing food if you haven't already. Another campaign coming later this year is The Big Soup Share, a chance for people to share and celebrate a love of food together. Food is an amazing connector, and this campaign is about encouraging people to grow their own food and turn it into a delicious soup to serve to friends, neighbours, colleagues, or those in need. Through this campaign, we've seen amazing vegetables being grown and delicious recipes truly celebrating the incredibly diverse communities across the UK. The Big Soup Share will launch in June this year. And with that, we come to the end of this week's show. It's a really exciting time to get into gardening and growing, and there are lots of ways you can do something good at home or in your community. For more on anything we've discussed today, please head to rhs.org.uk slash podcast. And all that's left to say from me, Alana Karma, is goodbye. Let's all work to make growing a better, more welcoming and healthier place to be. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. 
It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 